Pickle, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, May 23rd. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we 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 <laughs> we do encourage or in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers or buffalo speeches, and we don't do spirituality shows. We take a tough look at history, oppression. And survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity. And we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We'll take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that we stream our audio live when we do the show. And we have... Uh, other shows that are looping uh, when we aren't live, but we stream those our audio live on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. I encourage you to check out our website. We um, we post links to the the podcasts and our and our videos. Uh, we've got a bit of a photo gallery. We also have a a, a store that you can buy some Let's Talk Native shirts. <laughs> Uh, so I encourage you to stop by our, our website. And of course, you can always listen to Let's Talk Native on our website. So um, I encourage you to check it out. Now, we also stream live video of the show via Facebook Live on our Facebook group page uh, pages and across a bunch of other Facebook group pages as well. We take the audio of the show and we put it up on SoundCloud, which puts it out as a podcast on all of your favorite favorite podcast pl- uh, platforms. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. Uh, so again, I encourage you to to subscribe to our podcast, and you can just just you can ask Alexa, you know, play Let's Talk Native with John Kane podcast, or you can search it that way, and it'll come up on a variety of different platforms. So, but I encourage you to subscribe to our um, to our podcast, and I also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. On our YouTube channel, you'll not only see videos of the shows that we do here, um, both my New York show uh, and the shows that I do, uh, Let's Talk Native shows, but we also have our short form videos up there, and um, and there's a bunch of them. There's um, and I and I've covered all kinds of topics from Columbus to mascot issues, racism in Canada is the last one we did with This Is Canada. Um, we. I've tackled the doctrine of discovery, uh, IGRA, you know, a lot of our battles with the with the governor and uh, and the federal government, all that stuff. So, uh, and those are all you know five to ten minute videos. So I encourage you to check those out as well. All right, let's uh, let's get started. I'm John Kane. I am the show's host and producer. I'm joined here in, stu- in studio by Jake Proud, who's managing our audio and our video. Um, all right, uh, as I have said in, in the promo, and uh, game on. It's. Uh, it looks like casinos are coming back. Um, however, you feel about it, and I'm not expressing, you know, my my approval or my disapproval. But it it, it is a fact that um, the native casinos are going to be opening up. Uh, I'm not. Sh- I actually haven't followed what the state gaming uh, enterprise are doing, but the native casinos are going to open up uh, soon. Uh, Oneida has said that they will be opening up their facilities by June 10th. And the Seneca Nation President Ricky Armstrong, in his last address, basically said they are right now going through all of the protocols, safety protocols, uh, to open up theirs, uh, their gaming, Class 2 and Class 3 gaming facilities within the next couple of weeks. So, now, I also will say, and, and I'm glad they, they, it's been worded this way, but both 
from and I, and I don't know about what's happening up in St. Regis, but, uh, but as far as the Oneidas and, and the Senecas are concerned, they haven't pinned their opening on state approval. And, and, and I'm glad. I mean, look, whether they... You know, whether they parallel what the state's doing on, on their um, reopening the state or not, I'm, I'm glad at least they're asserting that they're doing it based on their analysis of, um, of safety protocols and that kind of stuff. Whether anybody believes it or not is, is another issue altogether. But, but um, I'm glad we don't have native so-called leaders suggesting, well, we're waiting for the state to let us open. Uh, there, there's just a uh, there's a wording i mean and, and it gets into a little bit of what i did my show in new york on uh when i uh, or, or actually the, the last show i did here about cognitive dissonance it's there's a there's a sense that we we know that we have the right to do certain things we know there are certain things that are consistent with our culture and yet we still behave in a way that puts our own identity secondary you know second to either you know state approval or federal approval you know u.s citizenship or state residency all that stuff so um again i was encouraged at least hear the the announcements from oneida and from seneca territory that suggest they are doing their analysis and they're basing their decisions on when to open and how to open on their own uh protocols not something being mandated by you know trump or cuomo or anybody else um so, I mean, among the questions that, that has to be asked is, is it appropriate? Is it appropriate to open up? Uh, when we talk about essential services, there's a lot of debate on, on, what, on what, what is an essential service. I mean, even the, this ongoing debate over whether church should be considered an essential service or not. Um, and this is, you know, playing out big time in the battles between Trump and, and governors who are still, uh, still advising against having um congregations of more than 10 people at a time well it's a little hard to hold a you know full-blown you know um church jamboree if you only if you only have 10 people there um so there's there's this debate going on and and then who makes that call is you know the the um the president is suggesting that he he will override states if they don't open up churches immediately is what he would say of course then he backed away from that quite a bit so I mean, you've got this debate on what is essential. Now, is gaming essential? Well, uh, I guess you got to ask essential to who. You know, I go back to what I've talked about a couple of times in the show already. There is no question that that the Seneca Nation, and and, and this is true for the the Oneidas, and and probably probably true up in uh, in Akwesasne for the St. Regis um, uh, tribe. Uh, they need the gaming revenue. That's it's what they. It is their means of public finance. It's how they pay for everything. Uh, I mean, the Seneca Nation is. Uh, you know, I I know more about what percentage or or, or how big an, a factor gaming revenue plays in everything that is Seneca Nation, and I know it's um, it it has been a huge hit to take that gaming revenue away for for a couple of months uh and you know and so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how it rebounds so there's you know there's a question that we have to ask as native people and then um as potential patrons or or people who who are poised like myself to defend the actions of uh of, of native peoples and native territories 
um, what's the you know what's the the sense for uh, opening up casinos at this time? I know the Seneca Nation needs the revenue. Um, it, it, it is such a huge part of what they fund everything out of is, is that gaming revenue. So it's an essential service as far as the Seneca Nation is concerned. Now, is it essential? Is it an essential service to the public? Well, obviously that's debatable. Now, so the, there's a question of you know what protocols can you put in place to make the casino safer? I mean, can you um, space the machines apart? Can you um, partition the seats, the seating? And these are all things that, I, that I've heard, um, you know, heard the possibility. Now, look, if you you could sit within six feet of somebody if that's your family member that you're that you came from your home together with. So I guess there's the potential for doing that. But whether it's table games or slot machines or whatever else, can they configure the the player experience in such a way that uh, that the that people are not um, going to get sick or, or, you know, pick up the, this virus from, from a casino. Um, will masks be a mandatory for people to come in? I, we assume so. Um, and the other big factor when it comes to, to native casinos in particular is the fact that smoking is allowed in the casino. Well, you can't smoke and wear a mask at the same time. So will, will masks or, or will smoking be eliminated in the casinos for this the time being these are these are all questions and i don't know the answers to them i haven't gained any insight about what the seneca nation or anybody else is doing i know that the casinos are set up so they can have smoke-free areas and they have areas most of the gaming floors in um, native casinos uh, do allow smoking so there's that now of course then there's also the idea of being served you know drinks so there's there's cocktail waiters and waitresses that uh that roam through the floor will that continue so and if you don't have smoking and if you don't have, you know, people waiting on you, bringing you, uh, you know, free drinks because you're playing uh, these slot machines or table games, will that change the experience? You know, and I don't know the answers to these questions. So, I mean, among the questions that you got to wonder is, <clears throat> have people been cooped up long enough that they're going to flock to this? I mean, are, when they open up the doors to these bingo halls and the casinos, are people just going to be anxious and get, and get in there to get their game on? I think they will. I mean, uh, that's, that's my suspicion, and I'll tell you a little bit why. One of the things that kind of you know, took me a little bit by surprise today. But um, there is that question. Will they flock or will they stay away? Look, we have our tensions um, in, in all of our native territories with the governors of the states that surround us. They're always trying to grab some of the revenue. Um, Seneca Nation is in, a, is in a big fight with Andrew Cuomo over revenue sharing. And trust me, Oneida and, uh, and St. Regis, they're, they're watching this like a hawk. They're hoping the Seneca's pulled us off. They're not, in, they're, not t- they're not taking the fight on themselves, but they're hoping that, they will, you know, that this will be a windfall for them if the Seneca's pull off backing completely away out of paying the, paying the state 25% of their, uh, of their slot revenue. So... I mean, there's there's that. There's the tension that we have with the state. And then that tension with the state then trickles down to some of the tensions that we have with with certain people, like Niagara Falls. I mean, every every problem that Niagara Falls has, the the last mayor, and and frankly, I'm, I'm hearing the buzz uh, now with, with the current administration, that it's the Seneca's fault. You know, that the, the Seneca's have to pay up. And that's the only way that Niagara Falls is economically viable nothing seems to be economically viable now so who the hell knows what this this all means so 
but but again, you get you get a, an animosity or resentment that starts to come come out of some of the uh, um, the constituencies of of these uh, the, these municipalities or these you know, the state. Um, in general, most of our fight with the with the state or you know or municipalities has not translated into um, uh, lessening the, the the patronage and, and the uh, and the players that, uh, coming into the casinos. But this is a, a new. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen now. Again, the the player experience is going to be different. Uh, you know whether it's bingo halls and the gla- class two facilities or whether it's the um, the slot machines and the table games. It's going to probably play different. So whatever people were accustomed to, you know, we get into this whole debate on whether the return to the old normal is what. Frankly, uh, is that what even what people want? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I know there's a lot of what was wrong with the United States prior to COVID-19. And there's, you know, a lot of right now, everybody's just longing for the way it was. And nobody's saying, no, how can we move forward and be better? And I don't know, you know, maybe that's even one of the things to, to, to consider with native gaming. But that's going to be the big question. The big question is, is will people stay away because of, safety concerns because of our fights you know with the states and the municip- and and not really with the municipalities but you know the impact on the municipalities uh will people um reject the the native gaming perhaps opening up maybe even before state gaming does you know their their casinos their racinos will that seem to the general public um like it's you know Unfair, because that's what we get. We get this whole debate about what what a level playing field is, regardless of what the what history has uh, has demonstrated. Anytime anybody thinks that 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 we have an unfair advantage instead of disadvantage, there's a certain segment of uh, of state and uh, and U.S. society, American society, that says, "Oh no, they can't have that if we can't have that." Well. They they they'll pass on all of the, the the negatives that we experience as a result of American or state policy, but um, let us try to grab onto something that uh, that we can uh, you know, take use to our advantage. And, and there's a certain segment that uh, that will resent that. All right, I mentioned that one of the things um, that tells me people are, are longing so much for some return to. Um, what they could do before that they can't do now. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the church stuff. I'll give you a small example. And, and of course, this is more of Native people than non-Native people. Uh, one of my friends here in, on territory, who uh, Rhonda Paulus, who sets up uh, and does a food tent at, at a variety of venues, on occasion she'll set up down at um, uh, one of RJE's other uh, facilities uh, called Crossroads. So she set up today... Um, and sold out of food within uh, sold out of everything she had within uh, you know within a couple hours um she was she started actually selling the food before she had announced that she would open up and the people flocked there uh there were, the the parking lot was full you would you'd swear they were giving something away so there's a part of me that says look there are people that are so longing for a return to what uh, like those kinds of things it gave me a good indication on on how people are are just waiting to do some do some things and if gaming you know kind of has that same uh lure and that or allure then 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 that's that's what we'll probably see we're probably going to see people 
you know, like like Black Friday trying to get into Walmart, uh, you know, lining up to go to the doors. And so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. <clears throat> I know there's still a debate on whether um, native gaming should open up early or whether they should <clears throat> um, develop their own metrics for, for measuring when is the appropriate time to open up. Because look, right now, Almost all of the 50 U.S. states and many of the provinces of, of Canada uh, um, are beginning to loosen up and relax some of the restrictions that they that they had. You know, some of their stay-at-home orders and that kind of stuff. And many of them are doing it without any real indication that the tide has you know uh, you know pulled back on, on on this coronavirus look you can look at the numbers and there may be a subtle uh, reduction in the in the number per day i mean of new cases per day it's over twenty thousand a day still in the united states and there's still between a thousand and two thousand deaths each day in the united states and some states are showing um a decline look new york state for instance has you know a disproportionately high level of cases and deaths compared to any place else in the uh in the United States um and in fact <laughs> New York state actually has more cases than any other country in the world more cases than any other country in the world i mean new york state has um uh has logged 369,000 cases brazil which is now in second place behind the united states hasn't even reached that level yet. They're, they're second behind the United States, but they haven't even caught New York State. So, uh, but when you look at New York State, you know that a disproportionate number of the cases were New York City. Now, in New York City, there does seem to have been a, um, a reduction in, uh, in the massive spread that, that, you know, that they experienced initially. But if you go through the rest of the state, and those numbers may pale by comparison to New York City. But if you look at the rest of the state, there are pl- many places that have upticks. Erie County still has, uh, you know, a pretty high level of, of cases. And that's the, the county that's, you know, that borders right up against uh, Cattaraugus here. And, and there are other counties that, that are experiencing still fairly high levels, you know, in Long Island and other, other places. So th- there's still a lot of cases in New York State. Now... I, again, I, I look through the through the information that comes across the internet, and I use you know um, what's called World or World O Meters info, and it's it's I gotta tell you, you look at some of the numbers, and some of them don't seem to stack up, and, and I don't mean just because the trends are going. I don't have a preference on which way the trends go. I always I, I would love to see this this virus gone, but. I don't want to see the numbers massage to say that it's gone if it's not really gone. And you know, so as I look at other countries and I look at the United States and state by state, sometimes the numbers don't, don't seem to add up. And, and we're going to see what happens now that summer, uh, you know, it, it's, we're getting into nice weather. This is considered a, a holiday weekend in the United States. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's an uptick as people start socializing more and and again big push to to allow church gatherings and will casinos add to it i mean that's you know that's to me the the question that we have to have as native people who have some responsibility for 
drawing in the public into our facilities. And, and of course, I, look, I have no, I have no say in what, what any territory does with its gaming. But as a native person, I'm, you know, I'm going to be an advocate. I'm going to defend what we do. But I also have to agree with it. And, and I'm still not sure yet. Um, like I said, I know the, the revenue is sorely needed. And, and I want to be clear here. It's different for native territories than um, for municipalities who are going to get bailed out from from the, the state or the federal government. It's different for for states and, and that can come up with other means for um, uh, for producing public finance. The United States they can they can just print more money. They just they just go into a, a higher and higher deficit. Well, native territories don't have that luxury. They can't they can't borrow money. Um, to to fund themselves they can't carry debt year to year so they have to produce the revenue to afford and and to pay for the services that they provide so it's not the same for the seneca nation or the oneidas or you know mohawks or any or anybody else um they don't have the same situation that state municipalities and states and and, and the federal government has they have other other means to to carry them when when a crisis hits i'll tell you one place that the sanitation has a pot of money sitting there and that you know again it gets back to the fight with new york state uh, seneca nation has a half a billion dollars sitting in accounts in case they have to pay the state in case they they lose ultimately lose and and and, and, and well i take it back Somebody else could decide when they lose, but until the Seneca Nation says they lose, until they pay up the money, they're still fighting the state. And uh, so that's that's a half a billion dollars that they have sitting in, in accounts. And no matter how much they need it, the question is, can they access it? And you know, I, to me, I'd have told the state the, the pound salt, say, look, you know, we've got to look after our own. You know, we'll. <laughs> We'll worry about having to pay you if we ever decide we we have to pay you when that when that time comes. In the meantime, we've got to take care of our own people. I'm not saying that's the position the Seneca Nation has taken. That would be the position that I would like to that I would take if if I um, if I were in that spot. But you know, look, I know everybody has to balance. You know what these relationships are going to look like with the state and the federal government, and in spite of the fact that the, that these entities are oftentimes our our enemy in this and the the state is the enemy when it comes to this gaming revenue battle and you know what the federal government is exactly isn't exactly our ally even though they're the ones who should be enforcing uh federal law against the state but they refuse to so that makes them more of an ally to the state than it does to um, um to native people so but again um where does this leave the Seneca Nation when it, when it comes time to making this decision about when to open the doors and when not to open the doors. They've made, they've made it clear they'll be opening them soon. And look, there, there are jobs at stake, but I, I look, I heard a few people criticize. A few people said, well, how dare they send me back to work um, if it's still not safe? I mean, if I've got asthma um, and I can't wear a mask because I've, I'm already having, you know, I have trouble breathing, should I have to go back to work? Well, and you know, look, I think there probably there probably are decisions that that should be made. There should be exceptions to to who is required to come back to work if their jobs are still available. But you know what? 
without in the absence of calling anything a new normal, we don't know how long a strict set of protocols for any of these venues, whether it's you know churches, bars, casinos, theaters, what what's it going to look like, and for how long will it look like that? So if if you were an employee of Seneca Gaming and now you're feeling some concern about going back to work because of your own safety and and that's justifiable look if you have an underlying condition you probably shouldn't go back to work and i don't know what that's going to mean in terms of unemployment insurance i mean if if you know i know things have changed when you apply for unemployment benefits you don't have to prove that you went looking for a job but that's going to change pretty soon because trust me, the state and federal government, they're going to do everything they can to, to get out of making these payments when, when they can. That's one of the ways that they plan to stimulate their own economy is by cutting down on their own expenses. So it's going to be interesting. But I, but I think that if you are somebody who's got asthma or, or, or any underlying condition that could be exacerbated by um, COVID-19, there should be consideration by the employer, and if that's a Seneca Nation or Seneca Gaming or Seneca Gaming and Entertainment, um, then there should be consideration. And and I don't know, I'm not saying they're not doing that, but I've seen some of the questions posed on um, or posed on, on Facebook, and there are some people who are concerned about going back to work because of their own health and safety. And I don't know what, if that's going to translate to um, uh, patronage and to the players going, we're going to have to, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, but I, I will say that if you were used to going, if you used to go to the casino all the time or bingo or whatever else, you're probably going to see a different experience when you go back. Um, there are going to be some changes. There are going to, there's going to be downtime. There's going to be a lot more cleaning going on, I assume. And there, you're going to find a lot more barriers to um, to your breath being uh, exposing others to, uh, to to the to the spread of this disease. So, you know whether you're going to see a lot more masks, um, whether the, whether the gaming facilities are going to provide them or not. You're going to see a lot more masks. You're going to see a lot more marshalling of um, uh, of behavior to make sure that people are are not putting other people at risk or themselves at risk. Um, so it's going to be, um, it, it's not going to be as freewheeling as you were used to. So that's, it, it, so that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And I know, I know how people bitch. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of complaints. There's going to be complaints about everything that is different than, it, than the way it was. And um, I'm not saying everyone's going to complain, but somebody will complain about everything. <laughs> so, so that's that's just going to happen. You know, that's just going to happen. All right, hey, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll take a break. I'll, uh, we'll talk about some COVID numbers when we come back, but uh, we'll we'll take a break and be right back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Um, we're 
We're broadcasting. I guess this is broadcasting. <laughs> at least through the internet and over Facebook. Out of our own studios here on the Cataraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. Um, look, I want to thank our sponsors that allow us to have built up what we've got going here and support what we do on a, on a, on a weekly basis. We do... Two Let's Talk Native shows a week on, on Saturdays and on Tuesdays. And then we do a Let's Talk, which is my show in New York City. We do that show here at the studio. So we wouldn't have the studio. We wouldn't have the, uh, the services that we have to purchase to do this show if we didn't have sponsors. So I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank ERW and uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises. I want to thank Grand River Enterprises and Native Wholesale Supply. And... And a few others that, from time to time, you know, whether they, you know, they aren't necessarily looking for recognition, but you know who you are. You know, you know those of you who, who cut a check every once in a while, um, send it in. Uh, oftentimes, it seems like those those checks come in at the, you know, at the time that we need it most. Whether it's somebody's relaxed their sponsorship for a while and somebody else picks it up, it uh, it helps. Uh, it always helps. And of course, we. We continue to try to um, improve the quality of what we do here. We're, 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 you know, we're buying some new hardware and software. Um, we're, we're hoping to maybe even uh, switch to a different kind of video service uh, coming up soon. Um, we try to buy some other cameras and lenses and uh, audio equipment. Um, especially as we connect up with, with New York, we've been trying to come up with a better way to do the show remotely so it sounds more like we're all in the same room even though... Uh, Regan DeLoggins, my co-host, is, uh, is is connecting up at home. Um, my studio engineer is e- either in studio in New York or in his home studio at uh, in in New York as well. And of course, we're doing it from here. So um, we're trying to come up with the, with the with with the right equipment and the right services to do all this stuff. And your support, the the support that you give us on on a, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, uh, helps us you know, stay in out front as we're trying to do some of this stuff. So uh, I greatly appreciate it. I also appreciate those of you who share the show, listen to the show, you know, each, each week, watch us the show. If, if that's what you do, um, uh, offer your comments on Facebook, offer your comments on our, um, on our YouTube channel. And those of you who share the show, whether you share the video or whether you share the, the podcast, we, we greatly appreciate it. You know, we are looking back at some of the um, some of the, the videos that we've done in the past, the short form videos. I, Jake and I were just talking before the show. The, the a video that I did a while ago on in the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is actually the number the most watched video we have. And part of it is there's a, a law there's a professor at one of the universities who uses my video in, in his class. I, I've been seeing it posted uh, several times on Twitter as well. Um, part of it is is that I break down what the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act is and what it isn't uh, in very understandable terms. So, uh, so that's that's actually become a. I didn't know. I didn't realize it until I was just checking the other day. I thought the Columbus video that we did, which is one of the ones that we're really proud of, I thought that was um, uh, was still leading the list, and um, and it's been passed by our IGRA video. So, um, again, I, I encourage you to check those videos out. Um, they're not as long. You don't have to sit through a whole hour show or a two hour show. You can, uh, you know, just catch uh, check the video out for 10 minutes and and walk away with knowledge perhaps that you didn't have before so uh again i want to i want to thank you for for sharing what you do watch and 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 what you do experience and more importantly i say this often often part of what we do here is is to try to encourage and start conversations conversations that we hope that you will take on after the show 
you know what you what you listen here and and your comments that you offer on Facebook those are all great but if you take something that I, I talked about whether you agreed with me or not and carry that conversation on with family members with with friends or or acquaintances uh, it not only I'm hoping to arm you with some information that will allow you and encourage you to have conversations, uh, further conversations on these subjects. But if if I pull that off, if, if if you end up having a conversation based on something we've done here on the show, then uh, then I feel like the work that I'm doing is worthwhile. I, I think it's worthwhile anyway. But <laughs> but I, but that's why we do it. So uh, again, I want to thank you for that. Um, all right, I didn't really do a whole lot of the COVID numbers, but one of the numbers I think is uh, should be concerning to everybody is I mentioned that this is a holiday weekend for uh, for many Americans. Uh, on Monday, the U.S. celebrates its Memorial Day. Uh, ironically, on Monday is when the United States will pass a hundred thousand dead from COVID nineteen. So when people are talking about who do you memorialize? Who do you celebrate or, or remember on Memorial Day? I know it's always been usually assigned to to you know, veterans, to to war heroes, and you know people who've passed on uh, be, because of a war. Uh, and you know, and and that's unfortunate. I mean, look, we we all have people that we should remember, and not just people who should be remembered for you know in some you know attempt to romanticize the act of war uh we all have we all have loved ones that we've passed i i just heard this uh just before airtime that i lost a good friend from out in wisconsin and um i i don't can't even really speak on it but we all we all lose friends and acquaintances and relatives loved ones and you know, whether you whether you need a holiday to 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 make that happen to 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 be the day that you remember these things or not um i don't know that you need a special day i think we should we should go out of our way to to on every occasion we can on every occasion we should go out of our way to think about the the ones um that that have passed on and the things that we've that that we that made our lives richer because of them now come monday <clears throat> the United States is going to reach 100,000 dead of this disease. And, you know, the part that, that I find frustrating with this is, again, the idea of playing around with numbers. Initially, there was some conversation that this disease could take between 100 and 200,000 people by August. By August. And then the powers that be said, oh, no, we're going to scale that number down to 60,000. I don't know why they did that because there was nothing to indicate that there was that much of a slowing of uh, of daily deaths that would have warranted changing that. And of course, they passed sixty thousand, and they they bumped it up to seventy, and they passed seventy thousand, and they bumped it up to you know seventy five, and and then they said, well, we think by June they'll hit uh, that the number will be a hundred thousand. Well, you know, what? you're not even going to make it to June. You're going to be a hundred thousand on Monday. So, I mean, I'm not saying you should dismiss every bit of information that comes across your, your smartphone or your, your tablet or your computer or your television, but just know how much they get wrong. I mean, the idea that you, you got the President of the United States promoting using medication that doesn't work 
that that can actually kill you. It can actually cause um, uh, heart problems. You've got, you know, every time they have the slightest inkling that they have something that might have some benefit, they tout it as, the, as you know, some miraculous cure, and it's not. And now we're starting to hear them say, oh, yeah, we think that uh, this vaccine thing is coming right along. Well, how did that HIV vaccine work out? Oh, that's right. They don't have one. A disease that has plagued the planet since 1980. Since 1980. And there's still no vaccine. But they're going to have a vaccine three months after, you know, after discovering a, a new virus. All right. They might. But I'll tell you, if you're going to have to change so many of the standards for what is allowed to be a vaccine in terms of the kind of testing, the, all the regulatory controls to make sure that a vaccine is safe. If anybody who thinks that a vaccine is going to be available in this calendar year is either lying to you or is, and this doesn't have to be a conspiracy. They are clearly going to change the laws to make this vaccine available, whether it's safe or not. And why? Well, I'll tell you why. Money. Money and power. Trump is so desperate to, to have some, something positive come out of this, this pandemic for him personally. I mean, look, there's nothing that positive comes out of 100,000 people dying in a couple of months. There's, there's, no, there's no way to spin that and make that positive. So when I hear people say, oh, we're going to be victorious. We're going to come through this, uh, you know, perfectly. We're going to come through this pandemic. No, you're not. There are people who are going to die. And they did die and they are dying and will continue to die. So anytime I hear people claiming victory over something, especially coming, you know, again, Monday's going to be Memorial Day. Memorial, you're going to ignore the fact that you've got more bodies than you can bury in many places in, in the world, but certainly in the United States. And the United States tops the list. They top the list in the number of cases and the number of dead. And it's not even close. Second place isn't even, isn't even close. And you know what? Not only do I think they keep massaging their predictions on how many dead there will be, I'm still not necessarily believing the, the number that they're giving us. I think it's higher than that. I know a lot of people saying, oh, no, they're just inflating the numbers for this reason or that reason. You know, and you can get into deep state and all kinds of conspiracy theories or, or you want. The bottom line is, by now, we all know somebody who has died from this. And for anybody who wants to try to spin some conspiracy theory about whether this is a fake pandemic or not, it's offensive to any of us who know somebody who's either been ill or, or, or worse, has passed away from it. And, you know, there is a, a real irony that, that Monday is Memorial Day in the United States, and the United States will meet its prediction way ahead of a schedule of 100,000 dead before June. Before, not by June, not in June, and not in August. We don't know what the, you know, again, with, with things opening up that have been closed, um, how much of an uptick will there be in the spread? I mean, let's, let's be clear. The United States still has only tested 4% of its population. 4% of its population. 
Now, New York State has tested 8%, but that's still only 8%. I mean, that's 92% of the people have not even been tested. 96% of the U.S. citizens have not even seen a test. So to suggest that this thing has ebbed, I don't know. There's no way of knowing that, that the spread has slowed down even. Really, the only way you can measure is if you test people. And the testing... The, the president of the United States is now is, is now discouraging testing. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to encourage and a testing at a higher rate. I mean, you got you got South Korea, you know, or in and China who have now had a, a, a resurgence in the uh, in the number of cases, and they're they're full bore trying to come up with, with being able to test a million people a day. That's that's a pretty tall order, considering in the United States. They're they're nowhere near being able to do that. I mean, uh, uh, I mean it's, that's a, that's a lot of people. So when I hear people talk about how um, it's it's time that uh, that this has gone on long enough, I don't know. I mean, hardship is is a tough thing to measure. Because not not all people feel you know are, are are impacted the same way or at the same level. You know, maybe you you haven't lost anybody. Maybe you you the, the only people that you've seen get sick recovered right away, and so you 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 dismiss the notion that people can be deathly ill. Look, this thing is causing blood clots. It's causing other types of organ failure. It's got this other um, inflammatory disease that's affecting children. It's not just a respiratory thing anymore. I mean, it's 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 transmitted, you know, uh, through through the respiratory system. But that doesn't mean that that it's just a, a, a lung disorder. It's causing a lot a lot more a lot more problems, and and we still don't know if once you've had it, if you're immune. There's there's a lot of speculation, but. Some of the resurgence that that, that has uh, occurred in other places is because people who got it and recovered were able to get sick again. So that that doesn't bode well for those for for the people who are advocating for a vaccine, because a, a vaccine is based on the idea that once you build up antibodies, you're not ever going to get you're not going to get sick again. Well, right now, getting sick and recovering doesn't seem to have produced enough uh, antibodies. I mean, having the full strength of the disease. So, so having a vaccination with a weakened version of COVID-19 producing enough antibodies to keep you from getting sick, it, it sure doesn't look good to me based on the information that's out there. And I know there's a lot of conflicting information that's out there. So anyway, that's my thoughts on, on, on where COVID-19 is. As I started the show, I talked about Gaming. Now, one thing I also remind people, uh, there are certain aspects of the casino enterprises that probably are not coming back right away. Concerts, for instance, shows. Um, I don't know what the bar situation is going to be like. I mean, these these casinos have entertainment, so they may not come back. Come back. The restaurant situation. I mean, there are, I mean, they're talking about opening putting requirements on restaurants that they could only fill the restaurants to 50% of capacity. Most restaurants can't make uh, any, they can't survive on 50% occupancy. And I don't know about, you know, uh, 
the hotels. Look, I know for gaming, there's a lot of um, freebies that are given out, uh, comps given out to uh, to players and that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, if you can't, if you're going to limit the seating, and especially if you're going to, of course, I'm talking about what the states are, are requiring or what the feds are recommending. I don't know what the Senecas are going to do or the Oneidas or you know, the Mohawks. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. But the likelihood is they're going to they're going to take try to take the 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 precautions they can that will allow them to open up what they can when they can. The question is, can they do so and generate enough revenue, enough income to justify being open? I know when we're you know you look at the Seneca Nation, they've got three class three facilities. One is more profitable than the other two. Um, two of them are pretty profitable the other one not so much so um the idea of opening up one without opening up the other two didn't make any uh, much sense you know so it's it's going to be interesting to see part of what the, makes the the one enterprise the Senate nation has more profitable is 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 less over they don't have a casino you know it's it's the 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 buffalo creek site you know <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it. Maybe the idea of, of scaling back on some of the amenities that uh, you know that Allegheny and Niagara Falls has, so it can operate more in the in the same vein as Buffalo Creek, which means that they will eliminate stuff. So a lot of the the luxury things that you that you had grown accustomed to, the hotels, the spas, the you know the shows, maybe they go away. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. But this is, I mean, this is part of the challenge. We don't know what life is going to look like as COVID-19 continues. Because, look, I'm not going to say what it's going to look like post-COVID-19. Because there may not be a post-COVID-19. This is here. Wherever it came from, however it got to where it is, it may not ever go away. I mean, this may be something that becomes more relegated to a seasonal thing. But again, if you look at other models, the Spanish flu from you know, 1918, 1919, um, the second wave of that was worse than the first. And then there was a third wave behind that. Then there were also complications, including things like Parkinson's disease, that came back for people who recovered. And there may be a direct correlation to to the longstanding effects of having gotten the, the, these the, these viruses and surviving them. There may be other complications down the road. It's hard to know that today, while while it's only you know two or three months old, we don't know what the long term effects are going to be. So all those everybody's talking about surviving this thing and you know and and claiming victory. You don't know what the, not only do you not know the long-term effects of this, this disease, but you also don't know the long-term effect of, of some of the treatments. You know, all of this uh, hydroxychloroquine and, um, uh, rend, uh, what is it, rendesimir? No, I can't get the word out. But anyway, this, this other uh, uh, treatment that's supposed to, that's supposed to possibly sh- uh, shorten the, um, uh, the, the time that you're sick. I mean, look, these these things all have side effects, and some of these side effects are long term. The the you know the disease itself has uh, has other um, longer lasting uh, impacts. So it, it's going to be we, we don't know. 
there there may not ever be a post COVID nineteen. There's no post uh, HIV. There's no post COVID uh, HIV. It still is. It still is a disease. It's still out there. It's still impacting. Look, they have treatments now. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it, it it's it's kind of a weird thing. I was just listening today on on one of, on on one of these medical shows. They're they're saying that the people who are who are being treated for cancer and being treated for for HIV have a lower incidence of um, catching this uh, COVID nineteen than they're lower. They are the lower lowest underlying condition uh, folks, and so they don't know if it has something to do with the the, the immune system actually being weaker. So the possibility that this may have some uh, um, maybe supercharging immune systems that, that, that attack the body. There's all kinds of things that they just simply don't know. And, and so every day, some new parallel or some, some new bits of information that, that correspond with, with other troubles. Look, my wife just last week went in for a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in the lungs. This is causing blood clots throughout the body and as those blood clots move they can uh, they can move directly into the lungs so they can be imp- so the lung problems you can have can be um em- embolisms it, it may not be the lung function failing in the way that um that that people are, are associating with this, the, the pneumonia like symptoms and that kind of thing there's just so much that, so and again my point is there may not be a post covid-19 but there's going to be life going forward with COVID-19. We don't know what that's going to look like, but it's probably not going to look like it did before. And that may not be a, a terrible thing. Look, I'm one of the ones who is going to say, don't tell me that, that we need to return to the old normal because the old normal sucked for a lot of people. And, and I'll tell you right now, racism hasn't been, didn't abate during COVID-19. So, I mean, police abuse, hell, they're even using COVID-19 to, uh, as, as the reason for abusing people, especially of color. If you're a white person jogging without a mask, you're probably not going to be interfered with. It, it, drop it, you know, jogging on the trails through lower Manhattan, you're probably not going to be harassed by the cops. But if you're a black man walking on the street without a mask, those guys have been harassed by the, by the New York City police. And not just in New York City, other other places as well. So some of these things, the the, the problems that we're having in, in uh, you know native territories with outside um, law enforcement, some of that stuff continues. We don't. I know many of us don't want the old normal. We don't consider this the new normal, but there will be a new normal. <clears throat> Once we wrap our heads a little bit around what, what's going on and understand where our place has to be, what our behavior has to be. Look, I talk a lot about behavior and identity. Uh, from a native perspective, I talk about cognitive dissonance, this idea that, that we have behavior that doesn't match our belief systems. There's nothing, there's nothing inconsistent with our beliefs in changing our and changing certain behaviors because of safety concerns. So we're not going to create cognitive dissonance if we um, change. You know, perhaps we 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 maintain a certain level of social distancing. 
We maintain a certain um, level of behavior that is safer for us. We shouldn't be be tore up and stressed over that. You know, and of, and of course, I'll admit, for me, this hasn't been that stressful. These, these last, you know, 60, 80 days, they haven't been that stressful for me. The, my biggest concern, I haven't been able to spend as much time with my grandkids. But I, but I, I managed to get my time in. But I don't, that's, that's been the biggest thing. I don't go to New York. And, and I do, I look forward to going back to New York. But I'm in no hurry to do it. I'm not chomping at the bit to jump on a train to go to New York. When, when I think it's safe and, uh, and I think it's appropriate, because the more I learn how to do my show here, my New York show from here, the less necessary is it is, uh, it is for me to go to New York. So perhaps I only go to New York when I'm going to do some events down in New York. So maybe I, I use my trips to New York to do not only a show, but uh, a radio show, but, but, but a live show as well. That's, that will probably be the new normal. This is not it. But... I think anybody who's thinking that we can pretend that we're in a post-COVID-19 era now, or that we will see one by June or July or August, no. I I think anybody who's, or or that it's going to change with a vaccine, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not as optimistic as as people who are trying to stimulate Wall Street or or stimulate, you know, Trump votes or whatever else. No, I I, I don't see it. I don't see it. So, well, that's what we're that's what we're all going to see going forward. But in the meantime, look, when the casinos open, when some of these other um, services open, you know, whether it's dining or entertainment or whatever else. I just say be safe. Be as safe as you can. Do look. There's going to be protocols put in place by the operators, by the restaurateurs, by the casino operators, by the you know the you know the, the theater operators, whatever. That's their protocols to avoid liability for the most part. But them avoiding liability doesn't mean that it avoids uh, avoids impacting your safety. We all have to take it upon ourselves. We all have to do what we need, we need to do to, to remain safe. You know, all those people complaining about wearing a mask and, and what a, an infringement it is upon their, their freedom. Yeah, look, that's... I see people even complaining when they see somebody else wearing a mask. Not even acknowledging that part of the reason to wear a mask isn't just to protect yourself, but it's to protect others. And to encourage people to do that. So... Be safe. Be safe this week. Be safe next week. And be safe whether you're sitting on a slot machine or a table game. But you do what you need to do to protect yourself, regardless of what anybody else is trying to say is the new safety protocols. You need to have your own. So, all right. Hey, I, I, again, I hate to say it, but by the time we come back here Tuesday, the, uh, the death toll is going to be over 100,000. So we're going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing, uh, this plays out. We'll be back here on Tuesday and uh, we'll do it all again. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh. Mm-hmm.